Today we conclude our examination of the question, what makes a church a church? And in recent weeks, we've considered several essential characteristics of the church, having a Christian worldview, having a more godly worldview rather than having a cultural one, following Jesus' most important instructions, love of God, loving our neighbors as ourselves. And then in recent weeks, we've considered practical ways to live out that love of God and love of neighbor. Today, appropriately enough on Pentecost Sunday, we're going to consider the spirit that animates the life of the church. It needs to be God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's what a spirit does. It, it breathes life into something. It motivates an organization or you and I as individuals to do things or sometimes to not do things, to speak, to be silent. And not all spirits are godly spirits. Some are quite the opposite. God's spirit is life-giving. Many of the other spirits, well, they tend to take life away or diminish life. And a church is not actually a church in Christ's name if it's not animated by, guided by the Holy Spirit. It's something else entirely. Which raises an important question. How can I recognize that it's the Holy Spirit that's animating and guiding my life, the life of a congregation or the church at, at large? How do we know? Paul gives a brief answer at the beginning of this uh, 12th chapter of his letter to the Corinthian church. He suggests, echoing a teaching of Jesus, that a spirit cannot speak against its own interest. And so a spirit that isn't of God isn't going to say, Jesus is Lord or Jesus is the Savior, the Christ. Conversely, if it is of God, it's not going to inspire anyone to say uh, bad things about Jesus or say Jesus isn't important or God isn't important. That's helpful, I suppose, as far as it goes, but it doesn't get us very far. I think a better way of answering the question, what is the spirit that's animating the life of an organization, your life and mine, is to, as Jesus taught elsewhere, Look for the fruits. You know, Paul in the letter to the Galatians writes about the fruits of the Spirit. If you're guided by, animated by, motivated by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, a spirit of love and peace in your life, your life should show it. If a church is animated by God's Holy Spirit, the activities of the church need to demonstrate that. You'll know them by their fruits. Remember what Paul says some of the fruits of the Spirit are? Love, kindness, patience, meekness or humility, endurance or being able to suffer in the name of faith. And what are some uh, uh, characteristics of the Spirit or gifts of the Spirit that Paul identifies in this letter to the Corinthians? Preaching or teaching, praying, keeping up the faith, the challenging ones, I suppose, for many of us Protestants, praying in tongues and interpreting those who pray in tongues or speak in tongues. 
gifts of the Holy Spirit that breathe life into an organization and focus it on doing the things that God needs us, not just wants us, but needs us to do. It is the Holy Spirit, after all, I'm convinced, that helps us to love in the way God wants us and needs us to love. Helps us to love God fully. Helps us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Helps us to reach out and recognize the needs of people who are very different from us, who we do not know by name, and whose circumstances probably even confuse us. It's the Spirit of God that encourages us in a world that is so aggressive to seek peace rather than revenge or justification. In a world that says, nobody has enough, you always need more, God's Holy Spirit says, there's more than enough. Be generous. Be generous with your money, be generous with your time, be generous with your attention and your prayers. You have enough for yourself and your family and your friends and to share. When a church lives and acts through the guidance, through the motivation of the Holy Spirit, people recognize it. People recognize it, maybe not as the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but as gifts that are uncommon in this world, notable and even laudable. Patience, peacefulness, forgiveness, beyond what others seem to offer. Practically speaking, how do you know if your life is being guided by the Holy Spirit? Well, I think the Holy Spirit helps us to do things that we never would have done if we were left to our own devices, and even helps us to do them more successfully, more completely than we ever could have imagined. Look, what I'm doing right now, I'm preaching. I hope. I hope I'm opening up the scriptures and helping you to understand them better and apply them more directly to your personal life and to the life of the church, the mission of the church, of serving others in Jesus' name. Nobody who's a preacher guided by the Holy Spirit wakes up and just starts talking. In my life as, as a younger person, I was always confident speaking in public, and I developed public speaking skills and other communication skills throughout my life. That's important. That's probably one of the gifts that God has placed in my life. But it doesn't become a spiritual gift until it's enacted, animated, used by, and guided by the Holy Spirit. Something different happens when I take my speaking experiences, the confidence I have to speak in public, or now the confidence I have to speak not in public, in an empty room, 
just directly to one camera, confident that there are others that will watch and listen, that becomes something different when I seek to follow God, when I speak to, seek to be guided by God's wisdom, God's love, God's forgiveness of my mistakes, God's generosity towards me and others around me, God's expectation that I need to love God fully and need to love my neighbors as myself, God's empowering through the Holy Spirit to share that love and demonstrate it. That is one of the spiritual gifts that Paul mentions in this letter to the Corinthians, speaking. And all of these spiritual gifts, what are they for? They're for the benefit of others. I mean, notice, Paul doesn't say, you've got these spiritual gifts, and if you live them out, you're going to make a lot of money. Paul doesn't say, you've got these gifts of the Holy Spirit, and if you live them out, you're going to live your best life. You're going to be married and have all the kids you want. You're going to have a big house. You're going to be important. You're going to be respected. What Paul promises is that the ultimate purpose of these spiritual gifts, of being guided and motivated by the Holy Spirit, is that we do things that benefit other people. Oh, and yes, God is a generous God. They tend to benefit us as well. I think one of the most common and helpful recent examples is the lesson of Mother Teresa, now in the eyes of our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, Saint Teresa of Calcutta. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about how we feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit those who are alone, and that is what sister and then mother and now Saint Teresa of Calcutta did. In the slums of Calcutta, she went out and organized feedings and being with and recognizing a spark of divinity, a value in these people that most of the rest of society thought were not worth any attention or compassion at all. And her, in her living of this out, in living out this mission to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and tend to the sick and be with the abandoned, Mother Teresa became a worldwide icon. You'll know them by their fruits. She was recognized as being extraordinary because of what the Holy Spirit motivated her to do, how it motivated her and others to live out their faith. Ironically, after her death, in some of her private papers and diaries, we've discovered that Mother Teresa sometimes doubted her own faith doubted what she was doing and sometimes even why she was doing it, which is also a reminder that sometimes we're not always the best people to identify how the Holy Spirit is working through us.
Sometimes it takes a fresh set of eyes to appreciate what's motivating us and whether what we're doing, how we're living, is for the good of others around us or just for our own benefit. And sometimes, and I think this is important, particularly in this environment, in these times, I'm convinced that sometimes the Holy Spirit guides us not to speak, but to listen. To listen more fully, to invite a variety of voices, sometimes conflicting voices, into our midst, and to seek to recognize their value, their wisdom, and their shortcomings especially if they challenge our own preconceived notions. Sometimes even if they challenge our conception of faith itself. I think the Holy Spirit can guide us to be better listeners. God is always speaking. The challenge, of course, through the power of the Holy Spirit is to discern which voices we hear are God's and then to figure out how to follow those voices of God more completely. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. And when we're successful at it, when we're successful at it, I'm convinced we end up doing things that we could not possibly have done on our own. That's true of us as individuals, and it's true of us as congregations. It's true of us as the church. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we are able to forgive what otherwise seems unforgivable. Sometimes in our lives, sometimes in the lives of others around us. Through the power of, Holy, of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we have a wisdom beyond, <laughs> beyond what we think we have a discernment of what we should do and what we shouldn't do beyond any reasonable explanation of how we've come by it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we have the words that we didn't know were in us at all. Sometimes we have words to offer that other people desperately need to hear. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can find the courage, the boldness, to try new things, to experiment in Jesus' name, sometimes to even fail in Jesus' name, and then patiently to try again. What motivates your life? What motivates the life of the church? It needs to be this life-giving and empowering and bold Holy Spirit. Because if it's anything else, well, if it's anything else, we're going to start worrying mostly about what's in it for us, what we're getting out of these things, what the church does for us, instead of what the church does for all of God's people. We're going to worry more about whether people are loving us in the right ways than whether 
we are loving others in the right ways. We're going to worry more about whether God is loving us enough rather than loving God more fully and completely. We're going to lose sight of the Christian worldview that I spoke of weeks ago about how God created us to live together peaceably, how we imagine perhaps heaven will be. And we'll, be just, we'll just be like any other organization in this dog-eat-dog world, always looking out for number one, cutting others down to make sure that we get ahead, or at least to make sure we survive. Throwing elbows whenever we get the chance. Pushing our way to the head of lines. Expecting that others recognize how important we are. None of those things are of God. They're not guided by or inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if a church starts behaving like that, well, You'll know them by their fruits. It's not a church at all. So let's look for the Holy Spirit's presence in our midst, for the words and the encouragement to listen, for the love and the generosity and the hope and the peace for kindness and patience and so much more.